welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase, Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumloops Te Sequetum territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequetum Ulu. And today's text, Love and Monsters, is set in like generically the USA, mm -hmm. uh, but it was actually filmed in Hemant, Queensland, Australia. So we acknowledge the Yugara, Turbal, and Kwandamuka as the traditional custodians of the lands where this film was made, and we pay our respects to the elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders people listening today. Joe. Mm -hmm. First of all, I'm really enjoying all my research into how to do acknowledgments of country for Australian texts. I'm learning yes. a lot. So mm -hmm. let me just say, if you notice, it's a little bit different today. I am growing as a person. <laughs> Secondly, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I was really scared to watch this movie because it's a monster movie. Um, but I actually thought it was really fun. Yeah, but I mean, we're in the middle of our spooky season coverage here, Brenna, and the reality yeah. is, this is not the scary one. <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's gross. Some of the monsters yes. are really, really, really gross. I don't like it. I have decided, like, aesthetically, when things drip. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't want anything to drip. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> all right well we'll get into those but let me just do the quick overview of uh the technical details of this film oh my god where have you been joel amy i love you i'm gonna come find you the day of the monster uprising was the day i lost everyone only a small fraction of humanity survived to move underground. I've been scanning for Amy the entire time. And now I finally found her. Joel! Hey! Joel! Amy! Is that you? Oh my god! Hey! How far away is Amy's colony? 85 miles. It's an impossible journey. Everything will try to kill you. Don't fight. Just run and hide. Ah. Huh? Okay. You really got me going. You got me so I don't know what I'm doing. You all alone? Me too. You don't have to talk about it. You wanna come with me? Look out! Is that a samurai sword? Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. Listen to your instincts out here, man. What if I have terrible instincts? You'll die. Super encouraging speech. So Love and Monsters is a 2021 film. Sadly, that means that the financial situation for the film looks really dire because it was released as a pandemic movie. So we only have VOD numbers. And in that area, this movie looks like a big old flop. So it's directed by Michael Matthews, and it's written by Brian Duffield and Matthew Robinson. And if that first name sounds at all familiar, Brenna, it's because we covered another of Brian Duffield's texts when we did Spontaneous, which is that film oh. where people's heads randomly explode. Oh, okay, okay. I liked that one. 
Yeah, I mean, you can definitely get a sense of the similar comedic vibes, you know, the mm -hmm. use of language, and even even some of the editing and direction choices eerily seem similar, despite the fact it's a different director. Interesting. Yeah. So the cast of this film, we've got Joel, who is played by my favorite, not so much yours, Dylan O'Brien, <laughs> who we talked about on the him. Maze Runner. Well, <laughs> I, I assume you associate him with the Maze Runner and you hated the Maze Runner. <laughs> I did hate the Maze Runner. I actually just associate him with Teen Wolf, which I know you love. Right. So I do kind of love Teen Wolf, yeah. Mm -hmm. We also have Minnow, who is played by Ariana Greenblatt. Clyde, Sorry, can I interrupt here? This is the mm -hmm. least annoying kid actor in the history of time. I loved her in this. Yeah. No, she's great. And I've seen her in one other text. She was the slightly more grown-up teenager in 65, the Adam Driver versus Dinosaurs movie from earlier this year. And she's similarly good in that, even though she doesn't even get to speak English. I mean, they've really scripted her to be like one of those precocious little kids who will really uh -huh. typically get on my nerves, mm -hmm. um, but she sells it. She's very, very charming. I really enjoyed. Yes. I find the comedy in this movie is pitch perfect to my sensibility. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the fact that she gets all of these almost mean-spirited, jabby remarks at Joel's expense just yes. makes me like her more. Yes, agreed. <laughs> so her guardian is Clyde, played by Michael Rucker, who folks may recognize from any number of texts, but obviously he's a good supporting player in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies and other fare like that. We have Amy, who is the love interest, played by Jessica Henwick, and then Cap, who is played by Dan Ewing. He's the guy who tries to feed everybody to the giant crab at the end of the film. Once again, justifying my typical distrust of Australians. <laughs> <laughs> and particularly blonde surfer bros. Mm, you cannot. You cannot trust. <laughs> and then the... MVP of this movie is Boy the Dog, who is played by both Hero and Dodge, and possibly some of the best dog acting I've seen in a movie in a very, very long time. He's a very good dog actor. I really mm -hmm. loved him. I was scared all the way through, even though I texted Joe last night to check to see if Boy makes it through the movie. Mm -hmm. I spent the whole movie wondering if Joe had secretly lied to me. Why would I do that? I'm not a I monster. Know. I don't know. I just loved him so much. I couldn't bear the thought of anything happening to him. <laughs> Devin watched the first half of the movie with me last night, and then I was dropping off, not because of the movie, just because of life. And so I finished it this morning, and the first thing Dev asked me when he woke up was if boy was okay. <laughs> boy is such a good boy. <laughs> He's such a good boy. <laughs> All right, Brenda. So what is this movie about? Okay, so this movie is a post-apocalyptic story. I kind of love this premise, Joe, because mm -hmm. actually humans just effed everything up worse than it would have been otherwise. Yes. So there's an asteroid headed for Earth, and the militaries of Earth decide to attack the asteroid, uh, and what they destroy the asteroid with basically like rains down, I don't know, radioactive mutant yeah. goo on earth and so everything cold-blooded mutates into a monster so mm -hmm. like fish and bugs and amphibians and like everything already semi-gross insects. Yeah. insects the whole thing and 95 percent of the human race by the time we get to the film story is gone 
So there are these like little remote colonies uh, where survivors have grouped together to try to stay safe. And and most of these bunkers are like underground. People mm-hmm. don't really go outside unless they have to like hunt for food or there's a breach of security. And mm-hmm. Joel lives in one of these communities where he sort of resents the people who he lives with because <laughs> he's not good at anything. Joel can't shoot. He freezes up when he's in dangerous situations. So basically they don't let him do anything except cook. And he's a good Mm -hmm. cook. They're all really grateful for what he does in terms of providing them with food. But he feels very kind of put upon because he can't be part of the solution. And we get to see him in a few situations where he nearly dies because he's not very good at fighting. Well, and I think also he feels left out because we also learn very quickly that oh, yeah. most of the other inhabitants of his colony have hooked up. So yes. there was a girl that he was dating in the before times, Amy, and they were getting along really, really well, but they got separated and then his parents died. So he doesn't really have any connections to mm-hmm. the people in his colony. He does know, however, that Amy is still alive. He talks to her on the radio and... After a particularly harrowing incident, he decides he's got to live his life. He's going to walk the 85 miles to go and see his girlfriend. Yes. It's important to note he doesn't ask her. He just goes. (laughs) Yes. It's a very impulsive decision, which you know is going to have reverberations throughout the rest of the text. Yes. And so while he's on this quest which everybody in his home colony thinks he's going to die. Um, He finds Boy, this dog whose own owner has died and is living on this bus, which, Mm -hmm. I mean, the dog is extremely self-sufficient. I'm not sure the dog should have ever hooked up with him in the first place, but whatever. No, Joel needed the dog more than the dog needed Joel. 100,000%. And so they also meet up with Minnow and Clyde, and they sort of get to share this skill set because Clyde and Minnow are happy to teach him everything they've learned about surviving on the surface. Mm -hmm. Joel didn't even know that anybody was surviving on the surface. He thought everyone was in these underground bunkers. So Clyde and Minnow teach him a ton about how to shoot and how to fight the different monsters. But Clyde also gives Joel a bit of a gift by saying, first of all, He's one of the ultimate survivors because almost no one made it out of Fairfield, which is where he was living. That's where Mm -hmm. was ground zero for the fallout. Right. And two, he really celebrates the fact that Joel can draw. Joel's been drawing all the monsters in like Mm -hmm. lots of detail and sharing sort of information about them in this book that he has. And Clyde's like, that book is going to save someone's life one day. And this with this newfound sense of security and confidence Joel and Clyde and Minnow part ways. Clyde and Minnow are heading to the mountains to safety where the monsters can't get to them. And Joel obviously is heading to see Amy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then many, many adventures ensue. <laughs> uh, at one point, Joel gets very upset at Boy uh, because <laughs> I love the fact that there's a character detail for the dog in this movie, yes. which is that he is obsessed with the red dress of his previous owner and he won't go anywhere without it. Mm-hmm. And it ends up becoming an action set piece that nearly gets both Joel and Boy killed. And Joel yells at the dog and the dog ends up running off. So Joel has to go the rest of the way by himself okay i genuinely teared up when he started yelling at boy and boy ran off yeah because you're just like no you two are perfect together what are you doing (laughs) yes i should also note we've had possibly the most emotionally resonant moment of the film by this point it's a a moment of calm where joel finds Mm. an abandoned town and he finds a mavis robot these were helper robots that 
basically got discontinued. They've almost taken on a sense of myth. It's a very Wally kind of moment where this mm -hmm. thing imparts some wisdom, a little bit of kindness, shows Joel pictures of his family, and we get these beautiful bioluminescent jellyfish floating through the air. And it's just, it's such a vitally important moment in the film to communicate that not everything on the surface sucks. I do have a film logic question, though, Joe. Mm-hmm. Why would the jellyfish be harmless? Right. Like, jellyfish <laughs> sting, right? So mm -hmm. wouldn't they just be, like, ultra stingy, just, like, very stingy, if if nothing else, with the mutations? Instead, they can fly. Uh, it's it's a question mark. I'll confess, I'm, I don't know enough about jellyfish to know why they wouldn't sting. Or maybe they don't normally if you don't touch them. Like in this case, nobody is touching them. They just seem to be floating around. So perhaps that's why they're harmless. Yeah, I don't know. I was just like, oh, nobody no. touched those jellyfish. I kept, I kept right? saying to the TV. <laughs> I mean, we do learn over the course of the film that there are several different races or types of mutated insects and creatures that are actually harmless. So even mm -hmm. though many of them look very scary and goopy and icky, as you dripping, suggested. Dripping. Yes. I do <laughs> love the creature design in this, and it's definitely augmented with visual effects. The film was actually nominated for an Oscar for its outstanding effects. It did not win, but... That hardly matters, considering this is not the kind of movie you expect to get nominated for an Oscar. Joe, but... I have to say, in general, mm -hmm. you put this movie up against Insurgent? No, Allegiant? What did we just watch? You Allegiant. put those two, <laughs> put those two <laughs> movies up against each other. This movie has like less than a third of the budget. Mm -hmm. And it looks... It looks so good. 500 times better. Like... Yeah. The monsters look real. They look scary. You can definitely tell where practical effects are being used. And I mean yes. that in the best possible way. Mm -hmm. There are some shortcuts. Like we've got some painted backdrops, some like some like sunsets and things that, you know, yeah. are very clearly computer generated yeah. images and things. But like compared to some of these big budget apocalypse mm -hmm. movies we've watched that look like something Garbage. boy pooped out. <laughs> um <laughs> This is amazing. Visually, yeah. this movie is like punching so far above its weight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why people ended up really responding to it. So the people who know this film, I've actually never met a single person who doesn't like it. Some mm -hmm. people love it. I, I'm a huge fan of this movie. It's like a four, four and a half out of five for me. I just think... It nails the comedy. It's got great action set pieces. I find Dylan O'Brien incredibly lovable. Mm -hmm. We'll get to Amy's character and what ends up happening when he meets up with her. But I actually really like the way they handle mm -hmm. that situation. Mm -hmm. So for me, this is a very, very successful film. But I think a big part of it is that visually, it's not just the Australian scenery that looks fantastic, but it's because they took the time and effort to make these creatures look as real or real-ish as possible mm -hmm. so that there is a kind of weight to them. You know, they seem substantial. It's not just characters fighting against a green screen and you can't buy into it. So I think that's really vital to the success of the film. And you know, there in the early monsters, there are moments where we just see a tentacle. We just mm -hmm. see a mouth. And you know, you assume it's going to be like that all the way along. Yep. They're super believable, super spooky for all the reasons that often not seeing the whole monster is better than seeing the whole monster. Mm -hmm. It works really well. But this scene that we're about to get to, Joe, at the end, 
with the crab. Right. That crab looks mm-hmm. so real. And they <laughs> imbue that crab somehow with so much humanity. Personality, right? It just works so well as the climactic scene because we're buying in not just to the visuals, we're buying into the emotional heart that's happening Mm -hmm. with this crab who he's like communing with. (laughs) And when I say crab, folks, if you haven't watched the movie, it's like it's the height of a skyscraper. (laughs) And it's being electroshocked to harm people like Mm -hmm. it's been sort of the evil australian guy has like taken control of this crab yes it's terrifying and it's beautiful and it's i was so impressed with that final scene Mm -hmm. yeah and it feels like a very different kind of set piece than what we've Mm -hmm. seen in the rest of the film Mm -hmm. so most of the time it's joel and maybe boy scrambling to safety sometimes we use slow-mo and so on but these creatures are very threatening they don't really have a distinct personality except for the way that they either move or sound or some have more arms than others and they're all gross but yeah this crab is the only one where you truly get a sense that something is different about it. And it's important to note that we've learned earlier that there are some who behave like this. They are more docile or they're not aggressive. So there's a moment where it seems like we're setting up for a big action set piece with Minnow and Clyde and Joel, but it's actually just that he's backed up against a giant snail and this snail doesn't do anything. It looks very scary because it's so big, but it's actually just passing through and they use it as a distraction to get some other creature off their scent. But I love how the film sets up that some of these things are fine and then it really Mm -hmm. pays it off in the climax with Mm -hmm. another mostly docile creature. Yeah, and can I note, Joe, Mm -hmm. the reason I knew the crab monster was going to be a good guy? Mm -hmm. No dripping. (laughs) i love that this is your barometer (laughs) so brenna let's talk about amy because because that's where we're getting to he obviously does get to amy's colony and this crab scene that we're describing is controlled by the australian captain who is actually not there to rescue the survivors like they thought Mm -hmm. he's there to steal all their supplies right so yes let's talk about amy yeah i mean First off, I love this idea that most of the film, humans are in it for each other, and we're not Mm -hmm. doing Walking Dead where everybody just wants to murder each other and humanity is the real villain. It's nice that we save that for the end with this cat figure who is, of course, gorgeous and uh, seems like a romantic foil for Amy and is just almost immediately revealed, oh no, he's drugging people and he plans to ransack the colony and feed the survivors to this giant crab. So that's fun. And Amy's a really good example of what you're describing because she, it turns out, is actually leading this colony, Mm -hmm. which Joel didn't realize until he got there. And it's almost exclusively a colony of like older adults and elderly people. Like she's looking after folks who will not be able to survive on their own. And Mm -hmm. it's quite lovely. And it's one of the reasons why she feels so responsible to her colony and can't just like kind of up and leave with Joel. Right. Yeah. We should also note it's been a couple of years since they've seen each other. Seven. Yeah. So technically we (laughs) could call this new adult, but I'm going to say that everyone seems so not emotionally stunted, but definitely they've all been almost frozen in time from the point of the attacks that 
no one has progressed, or at least not in the way you would expect. But I love that Joel shows up, and you can tell that Amy is a little tentative, right? Mm -hmm. It's not as romantic a reconciliation as you might expect. And we learn over time that not only has she been with somebody else who has since died, person's never named, we don't get a flashback because it doesn't matter, the film Mm -hmm. is smart enough to know, but Amy isn't the same person. As you said, she's taken on all these responsibilities. In a way, she's become a leader in the same sense that Joel has become an adventurer. They're completely different people, and there's a suggestion that they could get together in the future, but they decide now is not the right time because they have other responsibilities and priorities. And I love this messaging. I love it too. I love it so much because what Joel comes to realize is that while he's been kind of pining for Amy, Mm -hmm. he was being looked after by this community of people in his old colony. Like they were his family and it takes him this whole journey to realize that the reason they didn't let him do things is not because they thought he was useless, but because Mm -hmm. they were protecting him. They care about him Um, and his desire to get back to them to help them because their communication is disrupted and he wants to make sure they're okay that's huge. It's about him not just forming his entire identity around this one a girl. sort of a, a girl and like a fictional girl, right? From mm-hmm. seven years ago. Yeah. And instead looking around and seeing who's actually like in his corner now. It's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. We should also note that Amy is not just a strong, capable leader, but she's not a damsel in distress. She can mm-hmm. hold her own in an action set piece. She, you know, of course, we have to pit her against another woman mm-hmm. uh, because women can't always take on men in these kinds of films. I don't know why that's a thing, but whatever. She ends up still being an instrumental part in this final battle with the crab, with uh, Cap. Mm-hmm. And... I think it's it's really nice, but I appreciate the fact that the movie doesn't paint her in an ugly light because yeah. she is ultimately rejecting Joel's advances. Like, it would have been so easy to turn her into a minor emotional villain where we follow Joel all this way and then this bitch rejects him. And Amy isn't that. No. What I love the most about the way that scene is written is that it's joel who comes to a realization right like Mm -hmm. she's describing what her life has been for the last seven years and he takes a step back and he's like oh my god i never asked you if i should come she's like yeah you never did and it's really more (laughs) about like consent and agency and living our own lives and like Mm -hmm. recognizing that people change over time and that you know like so many movies we've watched we can't just freeze in the identity of someone who loved us once upon a time, right? Mm -hmm. All of that is so well handled in very quiet emotional beats in that scene. Mm -hmm. I just think it's really well done. Yeah. I'll confess, I don't love the end of the film quite Mm. as much where Joel does go back to his former colony and he ends up sending out this radio message that kind of paints him as a messiah. Yeah, I don't love that either. It's a call to action for all the people who have been living in colonies underground that they need to come out and live above the surface. I watched this with my husband, Brian, and he basically said, oh, a lot of those people are going to get killed because they don't have Minnow and Clyde to help educate them on how to survive. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) It's an interesting thing, too, because, you know, he's like putting out this 
broadcast, I guess. It's a recording, and he says mm-hmm. it's going to have all his the information. He gives his book to Amy to take mm-hmm. with her when she has to move the colony, and then he has a volume two, but he's also recording all this knowledge, which, you know, Minnow is like, he stole all our best material. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Joel still has something to learn. <laughs> but my other question at the end is like, so Clyde and Minnow have gone up to this mountain and they do, they look pretty safe where they've ended mm-hmm. up. Um, is everybody going to the mountain? Like, yeah. are Clyde and Minnow going to be like the, what are you all doing here? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's not enough space for any one of you. You're all attracting <laughs> monsters. Can you get... <laughs> I mean, that final scene with Minnow and Clyde, I think, is there to reassure us that they do, in fact, survive because we haven't mm-hmm. seen them for so long. Not that I ever had any doubts about no. their proficiency, but also it's a bit of a fun comedic stinger to set up a sequel, which just makes me sad that, yeah. honestly, I think this movie could have done gangbusters if it had made it into theaters and it could have made some money. But unlike some other titles that came out during the pandemic where they had really strong, robust numbers that they could fall back on, this made a splash, but then it just kind of disappeared. So as I said, people who have seen it really like it, but it doesn't have numbers that will back up or warrant a sequel. And as a result, this is a one and done. Yeah, you know, VOD was a hard thing during the sort of closure period of the pandemic, right? Because mm-hmm. I know everybody who bought like one or two things to watch, but I don't know a lot of people who bought like a lot of things. We were all also still paying for all our streaming services, right? Like there was a lot of content we had access to. And I know like I definitely bought like that Dan Levy Christmas movie mm-hmm. that everybody watched. Like, you know, there were a few big things, but like, unless you knew about this movie and you were like a monster person, monster movie person, or like you, you knew the director or you like, you really like horror comedy, mm-hmm. like it was pretty niche to find and pay for on VOD. And I think that's a real shame because yeah, you're right. This movie would have been a big hit, I think, in theaters. Yeah. It's a great theater movie. Well, and I think of someone like you, where you are trepidatious about horror, you Mm -hmm. don't love CGI, you Mm -hmm. don't like movies with a ton of walking in them. No, there's a lot of walking in this movie. There's so much walking. This is an entire travelogue movie. (laughs) But it has a dog. The dog is also walking. It turns out that that takes a lot of the edge off for me. Mm, mm -hmm, Mm. mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) it just to me this is a really great example of a excellently crafted four quadrant movie you know you could take slightly younger kids to this the monsters are very scary but i think if they're double digits you would probably be okay because you're not seeing anything you haven't seen in a star wars movie no it's true but it's a great call to adventure. It's got fantastic life lessons in it that we don't often see hit. Mm-hmm. And I think all of these characters really pop. There isn't a bad supporting actor in the bunch, which is normally, you know, there's a couple of things where you go, oh, I would have ditched that. Maybe that person didn't need to be in here. It's not bloated in that way. No, it's a very tight little movie. There's no doubt about it. There's not a lot of extraneous additional plots. We don't get backstories for everybody in the colony. We don't mm-hmm. get encumbered with a lot of history we have exactly enough of the past to understand the stakes and Mm -hmm. no more quite well done in that regard yeah 
Yeah. Uh, I guess the final piece that I just want to briefly highlight on, because I think the way we mix media in films is often really interesting. We mentioned that Joel draws all of these creatures, and obviously Mm -hmm. he has a kind of anthology book that, shockingly enough, that was meant to be the original title of this movie. But I'm very glad they changed it to Love and Monsters, because I Mm -hmm. think it it just works so much better. It's a good title. But we also get animated versions of the history of how these monsters came to be. So we get to see cartoon representations of the asteroid, the rockets, the fallout, and then these creatures becoming bigger. And it's funny because it not just sets the tone with the humor, Mm -hmm. but, you know, like we're introduced to this with, oh, all of the Todds and all of the Garys were killed. And we we see these giant cartoon monster bugs biting the heads off people. And (laughs) I just think it's very cleverly done. And it does it in a way that eases the audience into some of the more violent set pieces. Because cartoons, for some reason, just are easier to accept. 100%. And it's interesting because when you say that, I really realize how little death there is in this post-apocalyptic movie. We lose one of the colony members in Joel's colony at the Mm -hmm. beginning in a breach. And we find out about Amy's dead boyfriend. Yeah. But other than that, we have very little death. It's really a film about survival. Yeah. Yeah, our villains, the the three villains, Cap and his two hench people mm-hmm. on the boat, they all die. But there's something oh, yeah. incredibly satisfying about yeah. it. Like all the elderly people are watching and they go, ooh, but they kind of clap at the same time. <laughs> I really, I just think that's so interesting because normally, you know, the peril in a monster movie is set up for us by seeing a lot of people die. Mm-hmm. But you're right, they frame that really well with the cartoon stuff at the beginning, so we're not weighted down by that. Right, yeah. Well, I'm glad that you liked it. I did, Joe. I was worried, but I I (laughs) enjoyed it very much. (laughs) Well, why don't we play some YA bingo with this? Let's do it. Bingo! Not a good bingo. All right. What have you got? So I'm going to give Manic Pixie Dream Person. Yes. Because... At least Joel's conception of it. Joel's conception of Amy. Yeah, through no fault of Amy's own. That's the role she's been cast in. And the way in which his imagining of her motivates him to take this journey, I think, is classic Manic Pixie Dream territory. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, we're going to go with good friendships for Boy and Joel. <laughs> I Absolutely. love them together so much. We have definitely have a chosen one, and I think yep. that that gets accelerated at the very end of the movie with the messianic audiobook, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I don't love, but is there. And obviously, we're on a giant road trip this whole time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A uh, couple of different montages as we're passing the time. Mm-hmm. My favorite is the training montage with yes. Minnow and Joel. Yes. I thought Minnow is so good. Just very, very fun. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I want to say perfect date for the jellyfish with Mavis, even though it's not a date, quote unquote, because that would imply romance. And yet I feel like this is just a perfect moment for the character of Joel. It's what he needs exactly when he needs it. I agree with you. And I do think the first date that we have in flashback from the Oh, yeah. Yeah, on the night that the fallout lands on Fairfield, I think that's also a perfect date. 
mm-hmm. right up until the world ends. Right. <laughs> now, do we get to say that there's a Netflix connection because we watch this on Netflix? Well, actually, Netflix was the international distributor for this film. So, yes, okay. I think we do. Excellent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do we say forever young, considering mm. that Joel and Amy start the film at 16, but look exactly the same and... In some ways, as we said, they have emotionally matured, but also they have this like stunted, frozen in amberness. Yeah, I was definitely going to make the same point, so I buy it for okay. sure. <laughs> um, I also think we have to give a hollow romance to the central love story, not not in the way of like this is a romance story that is failing, but mm-hmm. in a in the way that this romance was never as serious as joel thought it was and it's actually kind of satisfying when it collapses for the audience at least it was for me for joel to sort of get that lesson was very Mm -hmm. satisfying but i still think it counts as a hollow romance yeah hard agree i also have dead body because we've not really talked about it but we do have joel's parents being killed Mm -hmm. as he makes his escape from fairfield we don't see it but we see the emotional And physical impacts of Mm -hmm. it, because the reason that Joel freezes whenever he's confronted with something is because of his parents' death. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And also we have the specter of the dead boyfriend hanging over as well, which I would also count as the dead body. Mm -hmm. Um, Um, I think that's it. Oh, we have borrowed time, right? Because he's got to make these 85 miles as quickly as possible. Like. There's definitely, if he stays out there, something bad is going to happen. And there's also the sense that once he knows that someone has come to rescue Amy's colony, he has to get there as fast as possible. Yes. Agreed. Okay. Do you have one question for you about this film? Unless you have more, um, unless you have more bingo. I have no more bingo, but sadly the, the stars did not align on this one. So. No, it's a bummer. But. I do have a question for you. Okay. Traditionally, Joe, mm-hmm. this much voiceover in a movie oh, would make you hate the movie. So why true. do you think the voiceover works for you here? Because the conceit is stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not actually writing letters, and he's certainly not writing letters when he's traversing no. the, you know, the surface. So I was expecting you to mm-hmm. have something to say about voiceover here. So why? <laughs> why not, Joe? Why? yes i guess i guess you're allowed to do this considering i did mock you for all the walking but um (laughs) i think it's the brevity of it you know there is a lot of voiceover you're not wrong but it's punctuating the action that we're seeing on screen and it gives us some really good insight into joel and his approach to living, right? So he mm-hmm. frequently starts off by lying to Amy in these voiceovers where he talks about how good he is, how strong he is, <laughs> how smart he is. And then he'll go, no, that's not true. That didn't actually happen. I was terrible. <laughs> I do like his self-effacing humor. It works so yes. well. Yeah. So I think it's a combination of that and just how seamlessly it feeds into the comedy, which as I've said repeatedly now just really works for me i think that this Mm -hmm. is a very very funny movie and dylan o'brien is really good at the quippiness of this character it it almost feels closer to his teen wolf character than i would have realized like if i didn't know dylan o'brien from other things i would think he's a one-trick pony because this is his best type of character 
Mm, interesting. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the moments of voiceover are, as you say, they're used to punctuate. They're not really used for exposition. And I think that mm-hmm. makes a big difference. Like yes. we're seeing something happen. We're hearing his report to Amy as opposed to having the report to Amy in the place of seeing something happen. Correct. Yes. Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, I want to talk about that, but now I feel satisfied. So thank you. <laughs> Happy to accommodate. Alrighty, so we are sticking with our scary month here, Joe. We are Mm -hmm. turning next to a classic, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. And then we're getting into like Joe Lipset origin story content here as we finally (laughs) tackle Goosebumps together. Yeah, I'm excited. I'll confess, this isn't 100% my forte, so I'm familiar, but I think we might need to bring on someone to help us with that particular title, somebody who really knows their stuff. Interesting, interesting. Okay. So um, yeah, we're sticking with the scary, so stick with us listeners, and if you want to get a hold of us, you can find us... Uh, lots of places. Email is a great place to start if you've got something long to respond to us. Did you see Love and Monsters? Did you love it? We'd love to know. Mm-hmm. HKHSPod at gmail.com. For anything more short form, you can find us on socials at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. Joe, where do they find you? I am at B Stole My Remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray, and that's Gray with an A. You can find me on Blue Sky and Instagram. All right. So, um, yeah, until, uh, until next time, Joe, I will see you on these very spooky pages. <laughs> and I will see you on these very spooky screens. Hey!